1: Second uh, Chronicles chapter 13, and give me an amen once you are there. And Father, we thank you again this evening for your mercy, your love, and your grace. There's none like you in all the earth, Father. We just glorify your name, Lord. We exalt thee in this house, and we're just so grateful, Lord. You say, blessed are those who by night stand in the house of the Lord. And so, Lord, we receive your blessing, Lord, and your joy. I pray for every one of us this evening that you would open up our understanding spiritually to what you would say to each and every one of us, Lord. You know our needs, you know where we're at, and we have come to meet with you, Lord. Not not with me, but with you. We all have come. We need you, Lord. Be exalted in this time. In Jesus' name we pray, and together we say, amen. All right, so in 2 Chronicles chapter 13, we have uh, the son of King Rehoboam, uh, who is now... uh, uh, reigning. And so after 17 years of uh, being king, King Rehoboam died. He slept with his fathers and was buried in the city of David. And Abijah, his son, reigned in his stead. We read that uh, in the previous chapter at the end of it that Rehoboam had done evil uh, because he prepared not his heart to seek the Lord. And now Abijah, his son is not going to fare any better. Although in tonight's story, God uses them tremendously. And we're told in first Kings 15, which mimics the story, um, that God had like mercy on Abijah because he knew for, for two reasons. For King David's sake, he loved King David. And for King David's sake, he's going to yet do some good with Abijah, and the other reason is because Abijah's future son, Asa, is going to be a king like King David, a king after God's own heart, a man after God's own heart. So I mean, it's the the um, sovereignty of God to say, "I got to take it easy with Abijah because his son's going to be a wonderful God fearing king." Not amazing, but Abijah would. Would would reign for three years, but his father Rehoboam um, he did evil because he did not prepare his heart to seek the Lord, and thus the southern kingdom of Judah was, as we read last week, uh, Egypt. The Egyptian king came up with his armies and mercenaries, and they took all the treasuries of Jerusalem, all of that gold and silver that Solomon had had collected, and King David took it away. And and uh and they cried out to the Lord, like, you know, don't let the Egyptians overtake us. And so the Lord had mercy on them. However, he allowed them to have to pay tribute taxes and serve the Egyptians because God wanted them to realize the distinction between serving the Lord and being blessed and serving the kings of the world and being oppressed. And so, they're really filling it because why Rehoboam had not had done evil because he did he prepared not his heart to seek the Lord. And as Christians there is nothing more important for us to do daily. Nothing more than to prepare our hearts to seek the Lord. You want to know the first duty of, of the Christian it is to seek the Lord. What other duty Could there be other than preparing our heart to seek the Lord? Judah's in trouble because their king did not prepare his heart to seek the Lord. And in the same way, as believers in Christ, we begin to fail. We begin to have problems. We begin to experience unnecessary trials and hardships when we don't prepare our heart to seek the Lord. Now, Jesus died for our sins on the cross, on the third day he rose from the dead and he's at the right hand of the Father praying for us. Jesus said that those who believe in him, him and the Father will come and dwell in him. And he also said that if he goes away it's expedient for the Holy Spirit will be given to us as well because Christianity is experiential it's not like other religions that they just do traditions and they don't know why they do them they do rituals they they do all kinds of of things and they know not why we as Christians it's a relational thing with God where we talk to him we pour out our heart to him we love him he's like more than a friend and more than family he's everything to us and so It is the chief duty for every Christian to prepare their hearts every day to seek the Lord. And if we don't, we can expect hardships. We can expect the Egyptians, or I should say the the old life and trials and and the enemies of our souls to infringe in our lives. And we got to ask the question, are we really seeking the Lord like we ought to? Are we preparing our heart daily to seek the Lord? There's not a problem that cannot be remedied by seeking the Lord daily. There's not a problem you have. I don't care how big it is. And in our story, Abijah has a huge problem. He's outnumbered. But yet God is his source of victory and strength. And so it is with us. But it's important for us to prepare our hearts to seek the Lord. Job, that suffering prophet man of God he would say in Job 11 13 if you would prepare your heart and stretch out your hands toward him if you would prepare your hearts how by stretching out your hands towards the Lord right I mean it's relational how do we prepare our heart we work on our relationship first things first every day of our life The man or woman who does that, my goodness, they grow in the Lord. And their problems get smaller and smaller. Who knows, maybe some of our problems are there because we haven't been diligent in preparing our hearts to seek the Lord. It's been like quick little weak devotions. And you know they're weak if you're riddled with fear and anxiety and worry about all your problems. You know that they're solid and good, that you've spent good time with the Lord when all those things, like the storm on Galilee, are at peace. They're still there, but you're at peace. James would say in his epistle, famously in chapter 4, verse 8, he said, draw near to God and he will what? He will draw near to you. It's a promise. You know, what other, what idols of the world can do that to people? None. Jesus comes. You cry out to Jesus and he comes. He's a real present help in time of danger. You draw near to God. That's how we prepare our hearts. It's, our, it's in our keeping. It's in the keeping of our daily devotions by which we stand. And ask yourself, test yourself. Are you in love with Jesus today? test yourself are you excited about church and the things of god or are you just kind of whatever all it is is the fruit of a whatever devotional life that's what that, that's the fruit of that but when we come in here just generally we have our we all have bad days but when we generally come in like wanting to worship the lord with everything we have That didn't just pop in right when we came here. That's that's your relationships in a good spot. You had great devotions that morning and throughout your day. In Psalm 63, the psalmist writes, O God, you are my God. Early will I seek you. In Psalm 5, verse 3, My voice you shall hear in the morning, O Lord. In the morning I will direct it to you, and I will look up. This is all relational. This is this is the Christian life. We cannot exist without this type of communication with God. It's prayer. We prepare our hearts to seek the Lord. And anybody can do it who has placed their faith in Jesus Christ. He has opened the way to the throne of grace by which we can receive mercy, grace, love, and understanding and wisdom and direction for our lives. It's all found right there and powered by his holy spirit to even be good christians it's all found early will i seek you lord give ear to the words of my cry like it's just relational it's talking to your god and my, my god psalm 139 verse 23 the psalmist writes search me o god and know my heart try me and know my anxieties and see if there is any wicked way in me and lead me in the way of everlasting you know that's what it that's to prepare to seek the Lord is to be honest and say, Lord, will you search my heart and tell me if there's wickedness in me, if there's anything in my heart that isn't good, that isn't of you, I want it to be done with. I want it to be be taken from you. King David would famously cry out to the Lord in Psalm 51, his famous psalm, verse 10, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. That kind of life is by which we see mountains move. Problems begin to start taking care of themselves. Even without even laying a hand on those problems, they just begin to go away. Why? Because our chief purpose is to seek God and to glorify and exalt His name. And when God sees that we do that, He begins to uh, put things at bay that would hurt us that's what he does king rehoboam did not do that abijah would follow in the footsteps of his father however like i said abijah his son's going to be fantastic god knows it and so there's there's grace here so verse one in the 18th year of king jeroboam abijah became king over judah he reigned three years in jerusalem his mother's name was uh Micaiah the daughter of Urel of Gibeah and there was war between Abijah and Jeroboam you know what Jeroboam's the king of Israel in the north remember Jeroboam was given the kingdom by the Lord because of Solomon's sin so 10 of the tribes are in Israel in the north Jeroboam is that is the king of that and there's war between Abijah and King Jeroboam. They're brothers as far as uh, both being uh, Hebrew, and so they're at war. Abijah set the battle in order with an army of valiant warriors, 400,000 choice men. Jeroboam also drew up in battle formation against him with 800,000 choice men, mighty men of valor. I always love the language of the soldiers of the Israelites when the Bible refers to them as valiant warriors or choice men or mighty men of valor it just blesses me right because I don't know because I'm a dude but I'm sure I'm sure the sisters get a kick out of it too it's a blessing to hear that there's these mighty warriors that were lining up to go to war together and you know there's that you know Fighter in all of us that warrior, since our Lord is a mighty warrior, and we are his his sons and daughters, there's a warrior in all of us. And so, man, how am I how do I become a choice man and a valiant man and a man, a mighty man of valor? You know, and in in this sense, these guys were fighters. But what makes a man or woman in the kingdom and in the body of Christ mighty according to the Lord? When we think of Gideon in the book of Judges, his story is, is a famous one because he, he with his 300 men took out the Midian, Midianites. In Judges 6, it's famous because he's referred to as a mighty man of valor. It says in Judges 6 verse 12 that the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon and said to him, The Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. That's what he called him. And Gideon said, how, Gideon began to tell him, like, how can this be Israel? We're hiding in caves and our enemies are all about us. And what do you mean? You know, and, and, uh, he really responded with, with letting the angel know that Israel's in a very weakened state. And, and then in Judges 6 verse 14, the Lord turned to, to Gideon and said, go in this might of yours and you shall save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have I not sent you? And so in Judges 6, verse 15, Gideon responded, Oh my Lord, how can I save Israel? Indeed, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least of my father's house. And then the Lord replied in Judges 6, 16, uh, Surely I will be with you, and you shall defeat the Midianites as one man. Gideon is famous for being a mighty man of valor because he had faith to believe that God would give him the victory over the Midianites. Gideon was a man of faith, but he's also a man of obedience, right? Because God said, do this, and Gideon was willing to believe and to follow through with the will of God. So what makes a man or woman spiritually, a mighty man or woman of valor, is one who has faith in Jesus Christ, And one who does what Jesus Christ has called all of us to do, which is to follow him. That makes us mighty. That makes us uh, uh, choice men and women within the church. And there's many who are failing in this area. And we can all use uh, a reminder that that's where it's at. To be mighty, to be strong, to be choice is to believe in Jesus and to do what he says. It isn't enough. Just to believe in him. Many believe in him and are doing absolutely nothing. Their their faith is not being um, lived out. And we want to get them to the place where, where they will live out their faith. Amen? What makes a man a woman mighty, like I said, it's faith and action. It isn't machoism. It isn't machoism. It's, are you obedient to the Lord in your homes? That's what Jack Hibbs said at that men's conference. um, We're not talking about machoism. We're talking about, are you living for God in your homes amongst your family? That's what makes a person mighty. Not just to live it in church, but to live it at home. Live it when you're not here. I thought that was a good thing. All right, so verse 4, Then Abijah stood on Mount uh, Zemarim, which is in the mountains of Ephraim, and said, Hear me, Jeroboam, and all Israel. Should you not know that the Lord God of Israel gave the dominion over Israel to David forever, to him and his sons, by a covenant of salt? And so he's speaking out here at a place where Jeroboam can hear him and the armies can hear him, perhaps to avoid bloodshed and just to speak. After all, there's 200,000 men of the southern kingdom and there is 400,000 uh, with the men in the northern kingdom. And so he's outnumbered two to one. So it's, it's wise of him to try to, you know, tell Jeroboam and, and the northern armies, do you really want to do this? It's going to be a bloodbath. And, uh, he says to them that, don't you know that the, the rightful authority, the rightful kingship is with the house of David? And he said forever. That's not necessary. He's right and he's not right. He's right in the fact that God promised David that his, king, that his kingdom will know no end. Speaking of the future reign of Jesus Christ, the son of the, of the lineage of David, the son of David, as they call them, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. So Jesus is of that lineage. And so obviously our Lord is on the throne of David for eternity, right? You and I are part of the kingdom of David forever and ever and ever. So he's right in one sense. But he's wrong in the other sense. God took the kingdom from them because it, the covenant was on the basis of them honoring his commandment. And since Solomon turned away from the Lord and was worshiping, uh, you know, false gods, God removed and split the kingdom from him. So he's wrong in that sense. And, uh, and so this is what he says. And he says that it was by a covenant of salt, which is like, what do we know about that? A covenant of salt, right? You ever have a covenant with salt? No. Nobody in this room has. Right? Anybody? Raise your hand. Tell me all about it. In the Old Testament, and in ancient times, everyone knows that salt was a pre- preserving agent. It preserved uh, meats, kept them uh, good from from rotten, and uh, uh, not just meats, but other foods as well. But in um, Leviticus chapter 2, the Israelites were told by God, any offering that you give, it needs to be with salt. Salt had to be on those offerings, which I think it's pretty cool. In Leviticus 2.13, it says, And every offering of your grain offering you shall season with salt. You shall not allow the salt of the covenant of your God to be lacking uh, from your grain offering. With all your offerings you shall offer salt. And so, you know, I'm under the impression that God has a great palate. I mean, he wants the fat of the sacrifices, which I love. Don't gross out if you ever see me eating a steak. Um, And salt. He wanted the offerings to be seasoned. You know, but it's a a spiritual uh, image of something that's lasting. Something that preserves Something that, 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 that make, that's lasting, basically. And in Numbers 18, verse 19, God speaks to Aaron, right? The high priest. He says, all of the heave offerings of the holy things, which the children of Israel offered to the Lord, I have given to you and your sons and daughters with you as an ordinance forever. It is a covenant of salt forever before the Lord with you and your descendants with you. And so there it is. It's like this, this, this Aaron was to receive all the, you know, you know, these offerings as a blessing. And God sealed it with it by calling it a covenant of salt, uh, uh, before the Lord. And so it was a covenant that was lasting, that was legit. And when we confessed Christ, was that legit? Does God hold people accountable for saying, Lord, forgive me for my sins. I've sinned against you. I'm now going to live for you. Forgive me. I'm now going to live for you and not for myself. Is that not a covenant of salt? It's a covenant of blood. That by faith, he did the work for us on the cross. But we promised him that our lives now belong to him. Our lives, we promise, we made a covenant. Our lives belong to him. How many of us are keeping that covenant? How many of us, our lives truly are his? Man, we had a killer study yesterday, men. Oh, man, it was talking all about the crucified life. The crucified life is walking in one direction. A person who has made a covenant with Christ is walking in one direction, not their own plans anymore. They are following the Lord. Our plans are irrelevant. Our schedules are irrelevant. Our lives are irrelevant. A person who is taking up their cross daily and following after Jesus is walking in the direction of Jesus Christ. I was ahead. Fantastic. We all were like, ugh. And maybe you're feeling like, ugh, it's Wednesday, dude. Chill. But it's true. Show me how I'm wrong. We made a covenant. Man, I heard a preacher say one time, and it was so spot on. Like he was saying, you think you can say that and then go live your own life? You think you can make that covenant and then go live your own life, and God's going to be like, okay. And things will go well for you? things will go terrible for you because you can't just play games with God and say, I'm now yours. Just kidding. I don't want to go to hell if I die. That's why I said that. Well, you don't understand. He's so good in saving us from hell that we now want to serve him. If you don't want to serve him, you, you don't, there's something wrong with your, your concept of the cross. I mean, is there anything that he asked that you would not do? Is there anything that he would ask you to give up that you would not? I mean, heavy. It's true though, covenant of salt. Jesus said in Matthew 5:13, "You are the salt of the earth." But if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown
0: out. Thank into you heaven. for joining us today at Lasting Truth Radio. If you're in the area, come out and join us for Sunday services at 8:30 a.m. and at 10:30 a.m we do